Good morning, Mercy Hill. Thank you for tuning in this morning on this Palm Sunday. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we hope that you guys are all doing great. We miss gathering with you all. And uh, during this time of uh, social distancing, we hope that you are uh, being intentional about staying connected to the life of the body and the life of the church. And so uh, keep reaching out to people. Keep reaching out to your community group members. Keep reaching out to those within the congregation. Offer to pray with one another and keep working towards staying connected. So we love you guys. We miss you. And thank you for joining us on this Palm Sunday and the start of Holy Week. So as annoying as it may be, <clears throat> as uncertain as this time is, um, as filled with fear and anxiety this time can be, I've been looking at it a little bit differently this week. Uh, we've been given an opportunity and almost a gift in this time of quarantine, as this time of slowing down, um, we've been given the gift of time. And it's not that we've created more time, but our schedules have been cleared for us. Um, things have been shaken intentionally, and everyone has been given the opportunity to do some real and some deep evaluation of our lives. To take some time to slow down and to uh, evaluate our hearts to evaluate our faith, to evaluate our time spent, what it is that we spend our time doing when everything is still moving forward. I think now that things are slower, we've been given that opportunity to evaluate, to wrestle with, and maybe make some adjustments to the way that we once were living. I was talking to Chris Peterson, one of our elders here at Mercy Hill, uh, a couple weeks ago, right at the beginning of all of this coronavirus and the quarantine and all of that. And just really reflecting on the magnitude of this and the opportunity that is here in front of us. Like the entire world has come to a halt. It's almost as if God uh, in his mercy and in his grace has reached down and hit pause on the entire world. This is something that only God himself could do. And I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't even love it all the time. But um, I want to know. I want to know his purpose. I want to love his purpose. And I want to submit to his purpose and really make the most of the time that we have um, with our schedules cleared. And so my encouragement before we get into this morning's text, before we talk about Palm Sunday, would be to um, take advantage of this time. Seek the Lord your God. Surrender to him. Call on him. I'm really hoping that um, through this, that the church of God would rise up, would seek him, and embrace this opportunity to press into Jesus, and that we might see a move of God um, unlike we've ever known, unlike we've seen in this generation and in, this, in my lifetime, that we would see God and his Holy Spirit, his faithfulness to his church, um, and we would be overwhelmed. And so um, embrace this opportunity. Embrace this gift that we have. And uh, I do long to be together. I do long to be worshiping with you face-to-face -face once again. But gosh, let's make the most of this opportunity. Um, and let's press into our Jesus. So if you have your Bible and you want to turn to Luke chapter 19, uh, we'll be in that familiar Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry passage of Scripture in just a moment. And as I like to do with many of the messages that I preach, I like to start with a question. Um, have you ever noticed that sometimes it is really difficult to know exactly what we need. Sometimes it's really tough to discern 
what it is that we need in a particular moment. Um, I think in my own life, whenever I get a headache, now this might seem kind of light, but whenever I get a headache, I go through this progression of why I have a headache and what may have caused it and what my body is trying to tell me with this headache. What is it that I lack or what is it that I need? Um, often, it's water. Sometimes I'm dehydrated. Sometimes I haven't drank enough water through the day and my body's trying to tell me, hey, you need to hydrate. Sometimes it's sleep. Sometimes I haven't slept well. Sometimes I haven't slept enough. Maybe I slept funny, woke up with a stiff neck. Sometimes it's sleep. Maybe it's that I'm hungry. Sometimes I'll get a headache when I'm hungry, maybe a little grumpy. Anybody else like that? Sometimes that is me. In my house, a phrase, um, was I glutened? <laughs> um, did, some, what, did somehow gluten sneak into my, into my diet, into my, and now maybe that's causing my headache? Um, oftentimes, I wonder if it's coffee. Have I had enough coffee, enough caffeine for the day? Do I need more? Probably the answer is yes. What is my body trying to tell me that I need? Sometimes it's really difficult to know exactly what we need. Sometimes it's difficult to know the difference between a need and a want. You know who's really, um, who has a real difficult time understanding the difference between needs and wants? Kids. Um, during this time of quarantine, my kids constantly feel that they need snacks. Maybe, you, maybe some of you grown-ups feel the same way. Popcorn, crackers, veggie sticks, pirate's booty, cheese sticks. Dad, I need a snack. And I'm like, you literally just ate lunch. There is no way you could need a snack. But you know what? Us grown-ups, we're not that different. Us adults, we're not that different. In my own life, sometimes I think I know exactly what I need, and so then I plan accordingly. I set my mind, and I set my feet in a particular direction, and I go. And when things don't go according to my plan, I toil, I work hard, I fret, I sometimes become anxious and worried. I sometimes even get frustrated and angry. Because I'm supposed to know exactly what I need. And I think to myself, what in the world, what in the world could God be doing? I forget that he is omnipotent. I forget that he is all-powerful. I forget that he's omniscient, that he knows all things. I forget that he is sovereign king, Lord of all, and he knows exactly what I need. Forget that I'm valuable to God, that He loves me with an everlasting love and He cares for me so, so deeply. Over the last two weeks, I've been thinking a lot about Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. It's a really familiar passage of Scripture. But it says in verse 25 Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? 
Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows. He knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We serve a God who knows. We serve a God who knows, and he is bigger, and he is greater. We serve a God who is smarter and more loving than we could ever, ever imagine. And on this Palm Sunday, when we've we're supposed to gather, we're supposed to wave palm branches and sing, Hosanna, shout Hosanna, God save us. Glory to God. Blessed, be, uh, blessed uh, is he who comes in the name of the Lord. On this Palm Sunday, it is my prayer that we would seek first the kingdom of God, that we would see the sovereignty of King Jesus, and that we would love and seek his kingdom above all else. And in him, that we would find the deepest peace we could ever imagine. And so let's turn to our text, Luke chapter 19, and let's read together. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. Verse 29 says, When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount which is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You should say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, the owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the ground and as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he draw near, verse 41, and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would you, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave a stone upon another, in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for this holy week. I thank you for all that this means and the life of us believers. For those, God, that you've been calling to yourself out of darkness and into your glorious light, God, I thank you for this holy week. God, I pray that today, on this Palm Sunday, God, that our eyes would be opened. God, that we would see you the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the sovereign King of peace. 
God, that we would see you. God, that we would bow before you. That we would surrender our lives to you and long for your will to be done. God, be with us today. Speak to our hearts and give us the boldness and the humility to respond to you. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So throughout much of the Gospels, Jesus is rather, uh, he's rather veiled. He's rather cryptic about who he is. As he went around healing people, oftentimes he would tell them not to tell anybody about what he's done or, or who he is. Um, Mark chapter 7 is the account of a deaf man with a speech impediment. And as he reaches out and as he touches him, he, he says, don't tell anybody about this. Even Peter's confession of Jesus, um, which we've referenced in our morning uh, devotionals in Matthew chapter 16, it's also recorded in Luke chapter 9 and, and here in Mark chapter 8, um, Peter's confession of, of Jesus, he also charges him not to say anything about who he is. Verse 27 of Mark 8, it says, Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Verse 28 says, and they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others say one of the prophets. And he asked, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. So here it is. Peter gives the right answer. The report card comes back, and Peter's report card has this bright and shining A-plus on it. But this report card isn't going on the refrigerator. Not yet. Don't tell anybody about this. Through much of his earthly ministry, Jesus was slowly revealing himself to those who had eyes to see and who had ears to hear. If he would have made those broad, grand claims of being the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah, he probably would have been killed by the Jews for blasphemy way before the appointed time. He uh, was intentional about the way he revealed himself to his disciples. But now it seems it's time for the big reveal. Now it seems that it is time for him to make himself known and to do it in a very, very grand fashion. This way, um, coming, riding on the colt of a donkey, seems very meek and humble, but it was very intentional to the Jewish people. Those who knew the Old Testament scriptures, they knew how bold of a statement this was. As he rides into Jerusalem in humble fashion, among the pomp and circumstance of palm branches waved, this wonderful symbol of victory, of triumph and peace, his coats were laid on the road before him, like a red carpet for a king in his coronation. He's on the back of a young donkey, uh, seeming too humble. But even as so, it was truly, truly fit for a king. And actually, God's appointed Messiah King. You see, him riding in on this donkey, many of you probably know this, but is a fulfillment of a prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9. Verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Sing aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having a salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on the colt, the foal of a donkey. So this king, their king has come. 
righteous and having salvation. Pastor Tim Keller points out, Jesus chose a baby donkey, which is almost comical. It is very deliberate and clear in fulfillment of Scripture. He's coming to rule and he's coming to save, but not by taking power and killing, but by losing power and dying. He's going to triumph through weakness. So here he comes in weakness and humility, just as he came into this world in a manger. It's beautifully, beautifully poetic. He's going to conquer, but he's not going to conquer by the sword and by power, but by emptying himself. He's going to conquer, but not by taking lives, but by pouring himself out like a drink offering and giving of his own life. By climbing on that cross and taking on him the full, the full wrath of God. The wrath of God that is one day coming upon the enemies of God, upon those who reject him and his lordship, those who reject his kingship. That's how Jesus would conquer in humility and laying himself down. And in that, he meets our deepest, deepest need. The deepest longing of our heart, the deepest need within our soul, that need that sometimes we can't put our finger on, Jesus, by emptying himself and going to the cross, he meets that deepest need. Here comes their king. Their king comes to his people lowly, humbly, riding on a donkey. But there's also something else to note about him choosing a donkey as the mode of transportation. As William Barclay points out in his commentary on this passage, uh, the ass in Palestine was not the lowly beast that, this, that it is in this country. It was noble. Only in war did kings come riding upon a horse. When they came in peace, they came upon an ass. So Jesus, by his action, came as a king of love and of peace, not as the conquering military who, uh, hero whom the mob expected and awaited. And do you see how this meshes so well? How he's going to be the conqueror, but not by the sword. He's going to be the conqueror by his own death, and in that creates peace. So this declaration, this huge statement that he's making by riding in on a donkey, that he's going to be king, that he is King Jesus, but he is the king of peace. And here's the perfect case of people thinking that they uh, they know exactly what they need, setting up expectations in their minds and their hearts of how something should go, having the plan and the solution already mapped out in their brains, and their, mis, uh, their misunderstood and misguided expectations will not be met. One day, they're waving palm branches, and they're laying down their cloaks, and they're shouting, Hosanna. Here comes the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Rome is going to get it now. We will finally, finally be set free. See, the Jews thought they knew the problem. They thought they knew their deepest need. And they thought they already knew the solution. They thought they knew what the remedy was. They didn't see the actual problem. 
They didn't see the true source of their discord and their pain. They didn't know their actual deepest need. The problem wasn't Rome. Their oppression was not from Rome. The problem was sin and the oppression was of the enemy of their souls. They didn't know. They couldn't see what real peace, what real abiding, steadfast, living peace looked like. They were blinded and it was hidden from their eyes, as it says in our text this morning. Luke 19 again, verse 41 says, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. In the middle of all the excitement, in the middle of the jubilation, the pomp, the circumstance, the cheering, the palm waving, in the middle of all of this, Jesus weeps over the city and over his people. I almost picture like a movie where there's all this crowd going on, this party happening, and all this cheering going on, but then you see the protagonist, you see the, the central figure to the story. The camera zooms in and focuses in right on his eyes, and you see the sorrow welling up while all this is going on and how they're clueless, how they don't understand what they're doing or what's being done. He weeps over the city. He knew they didn't get it. He knew their hearts were hard and their eyes were blind. He knew that they didn't love the will and the plan of God more than their own plan and desired outcome. And that's how a crowd goes from shouting Hosanna, blessed is he who comes to crucify him in five short days. They didn't know what the true need of their heart was. They didn't know the things that make for peace. And yet, this was all part of God's beautiful and sovereign plan. You see, we will never be at peace in our soul or in our lives until we see, until we have our eyes opened by a miraculous work of God, what actually makes for peace. That is, our Savior, our sovereign King Jesus. He is our peace and our living hope. A couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to preach um, here in Bayview, and, and actually I, I did a similar sermon in Lake Country as well. And uh, I was talking about the centrality and the sufficiency of the person of Jesus. Um, so many times, I think we treat Jesus as the means to an end. That... Um, he is um, the vehicle for a desired outcome. And sometimes those outcomes are, are very uh, nice and even spiritual, like peace and joy and hope. But he's not the means to an end. He's the means and the end. He's not just the thing that gets us the thing. And I'm not specifically talking about like a prosperity gospel, which I think is for sure pervasive and, and, and wicked theology. But also, I think that we can relegate Jesus as simply the vehicle for getting even good things like peace. I want peace, so I better get Jesus. I want joy, so I better get Jesus. Instead of simply wanting Jesus and his kingdom to come, and in him, I will find all the deepest, realest needs of my life in my heart satisfied. He is sufficient 
He is full. He is sovereign. He is full of love. And he loves us to the point of tears and death on a cross. Everything is found in Christ. There's this great danger that I see in the response of the Jews during the start of this Holy Week. Unfortunately, we too can fashion Jesus into a version that fits into uh, and meets our current situation and our mindset. In essence, it turns out to be idolatry. We fashion this Jesus, we form this Jesus into something that's going to meet the desired outcomes of our hearts and of our life. We fashion and forge him into our own God, made with our own will, and, and we want him to do all the things that we want and need him to do. Unfortunately, it's idolatry and it's wickedness. Our King Jesus needs to be revealed to us and shown to us and seen by us through the holy, infallible scriptures as empowered by the Holy Spirit. If it's not the Jesus of the Bible that we desire, we could go from shouting, blessed is he who comes, to a complete and utter rejection of him when things don't go as planned. We will never be content and at peace until we can truly pray the prayer, not my will, not my plan, not what I think I need, but your plan, your will be done, O sovereign King Jesus. As we conclude, as I started this morning, it is my prayer that our eyes would be open to our greatest and deepest need ever. That our eyes would be open, that we would know what peace looks like, or should I say, who peace looks like. And that is our sovereign King of Peace, Jesus. Today, wherever you're at, in your living room, maybe you're at your computer, maybe you're on your phone, if you lack peace, it is my prayer that today that you would submit and surrender your life to the sovereign King of Peace, who is Jesus. The one on that Palm Sunday, who rode in and they sang and shouted, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That sovereign King Jesus, that King of peace, is as alive and real today as he was then. He paid the price for your sins so that you could be put at peace with God, that you could be reconciled back to the Father, and he is our only hope of peace in this life and the next. And so it's my prayer today that you would submit, surrender, that you would repent from your sin, and you would put your life in the hands of our sovereign King Jesus. It's my prayer also that we as his church, that we would love and surrender to his sovereign will. That we wouldn't fight and work against what God is doing, but that we would try to have our eyes open by the power of his Holy Spirit to see what God is doing, and that we would desire a move of the Holy Spirit, a move of God in such a way um, that he would accomplish his will in us, that we wouldn't resist it, but that we would jump on board and that we would be his vibrant and bold church that he's called us to be, that we would love and desire his will and his plan above our own. And so this morning, I hope your heart is challenged. I hope that the Holy Spirit of God is stirring you right now, even at home. And it is my prayer that you have the boldness and the humility to respond.
Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you, God, that in this season, as we're coming up to Easter and the resurrection, Father, I pray that you would continue your work in us. God, if there are people um, in our church today or people watching this video today, God, that lack peace, and they thought they knew what they needed, but now they're seeing at their, at their couch or at their coffee table or, or at their dining room table right now on their phone, wherever they're at, God, maybe they're realizing their deep need of you, O Sovereign King Jesus. Father, I pray that you grab their hearts. I pray that you would um, minister to their soul, God, that they would confess their sin and embrace you as Savior and Lord. God, I thank you for all that you're doing in us through us, empower us, your people, to love your will above our own. Let us be your vibrant church. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. Please tune in more this week for more devotionals. Tune in Friday night for our Good Friday service, our Good Friday Tenebrae service, and of course, next week for Easter Sunday. It's going to be strange to not be in the house of God together with you, but let's celebrate our God who is uh, alive and exalted. Let's celebrate him again next week on our Easter Sunday celebration. Have a wonderful week.